Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Let's all stand up. We can worship and praise together. Nails in your hands, nails in your feet, they tell me how much you love me. The thorns on your brow, they tell me how you bore so much shame to love me. skies will still remain and forever they will say how much you love me forever my love forever my heart forever my life is thank you for that fact. We thank you that our life just belongs to you, Lord, and that you just hold us in the palm of your hands. 
Lord, help us to keep that feeling with us today and for the rest of the week. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, you stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. Carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. My soul now to stand. So what can I say? What could I do? Heart, oh God, me to you. So I walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me. This life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. What can I say? What could I do? And offer this heart, oh God. So what can I say? What could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, Completely.
Big crowd today. Good to see everyone here. Do you know everybody? Turn and greet someone near you and children come up front and join us for a few moments of sharing. so many of you today I have nowhere to sit but that's a good thing All right. okay guys Riley has something here to show you can you take some of those things out here let's slide back so our friend Ryan can see all right what is that Eli a battery okay what else do we have in there Riley A pay, well, this is kind of like a clip, and then we, no. and then we have a bunch of paper clips. What do you know about these things? They're made out of metal. All right, now Riley has something, and what does Riley have? A magnet. Yes, she does. All right, now do you think that magnet's going to pick any of this stuff up? Yes. Why? All right, show him. All right, she's going for the paper clips. Look at that. Pretty amazing. So a magnet has a lot of drawing power to it. It attracts all things made of metal, and it's very powerful. Now, Jesus also had drawing power. The people who were following Jesus didn't understand why Jesus had come to earth. They thought that he had come here to set up an earthly heaven here. But did he come here to this earth to set up heaven here? No. He came to earth to die for our sins so that we can join him in his heavenly kingdom. Jesus knew that the day of his crucifixion was near. And he said to his followers, I am very troubled. What should I do? Should I pray for the Father and ask him to save me? No. This is the very reason I came. And when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone to myself. So Jesus has that drawing power. Now, the Bible tells us that he told them that so that they would know he was going to die. Now, the drawing power of this magnet is very strong. But is it as powerful as Jesus' drawing no, it's nowhere close. He died for us on the cross and to save us from our sins. When we see his great love, we are drawn to him. And when we trust in him, we receive the right to become the children of God. Even after we become children's God, there may be times when we stray from his teaching and do things that we shouldn't do. Does Jesus stop loving us? No, never, that's right. His love for us is so strong that it draws us back to him just like a magnet does. 
There is no power stronger than Jesus. He was lifted up on that cross so that everyone would be drawn to him. And everyone includes me and who else? You. That's right, all of you. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the power of your love that draws us and keeps us. Amen. Well, we didn't get any snow this year, but I have about a quarter of an inch of pollen in my backyard, and I've been pollinated. That's why I'm a blooming idiot. But anyway, thank you, thank you. I like getting amens for something. It is uh, good to see all of you here today, and we uh, always have a big crowd when Preacher Bob is going to be here. We're glad to have him in a few moments to come and uh, bring our message this morning. A few announcements. Well, first of all, a few, few prayer concerns. If you have any prayer concerns that you would like us to uh, know about and join you uh, in uh, praying, we ask you to raise your hand so we can get you an index card. And if you'll write something down on that index card uh, that, that uh, I can read and repeat, I'll be glad to uh, share those prayer concerns um, together with all of us. Now for the announcements. Kids, we will have our regular Sunday night programs tonight, so we will see you there. Some of our children's Sunday school classes need teachers for the upcoming months of April and May. If you're willing to help, please check the sign-up sheets outside of the children's classrooms uh, to volunteer, or you may see Katie Jeter for more information. Our annual Easter egg extravaganza is set for 2 p.m. on Saturday, April the 7th. Uh, please mark your calendars and plan to join us for an afternoon of fun, and don't forget your Easter basket. So this year, it's the, that's the day before Easter. Uh, that means, let's see, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. So uh, the uh, Lenten season is moving ahead rapidly as well. Um, youth will be meeting as usual tonight at their usual 6.30 time. The um, confirmation class for youth will be meeting at 5.30 at their usual place over in the United Methodist Women classroom. Uh, soon we'll be drawing that study to a close. Um, are the adults Bible studies on Sunday nights still Okay, so the new one is cranking up soon, and, and the disciples is still going on, I would think. So that's great. As quick as you have something written down, because I didn't have many announcements today, uh, you'll raise them back up so our ushers can um, retrieve the cards, and we will have our prayer time together. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. 
Lord, it is a, a wonderful thing that we can be together today and to feel the embrace of your love and to know that we all are loved and accepted by you. Sometimes we find that harder to believe than other times. Sometimes we really struggle to love and accept ourselves when we have let ourselves down and when we've let you down. But keep telling us, Lord, that you forgive us and love us. One day we'll really believe that. One day we will pardon ourselves and your grace and your mercy will flow in us in wonderful new ways. These are our special prayers for this day. We pray for Vicki Hudson. We pray for healing for Ann Duncan. We pray for the Edwards family, for Nancy Kiefer and family. We pray for a dear friend who lost her mom a year ago today. We pray for Bill Klute's dad, who's in the intensive care unit. We pray for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We give you thanks and praise for two family members that have gotten jobs and for a sister-in-law, Janice, who's having, we pray for a sister-in-law who's having problems with her hip. Again, prayers for Jocelyn Kiefer's family, her mother, Nancy. We pray for encouragement for a family member who is some distance away. We give you thanks for answered prayers. We pray for a mother-in-law suffering from liver and pancreas-related disease. We pray for healing for, for Jane Berg and uh, lifting of her spirits. Lord, these are our prayers through Jesus Christ, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. And we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is... Uh, a source of some pride to all of us here at uh, Memorial Church that um, Bob Goulart has been sent out from this church on a couple of occasions to be the shepherd of a congregation, to be the uh, local pastor, and he's on a bit of a hiatus right now, and so we're able to get him back here some. So Bob, we're glad to have you come and uh, share uh, the word with us today. Amen. <laughs> Arthur's got all this stuff up here and you got to get it out of the way so you at least have a place to put a piece of paper.
thing about being a preacher is you can talk about the family. You can talk about it and give you some material from the good information when you can't think of nothing else to say or there's lots of words. But my son, Grant, is 16, and he loves to teach. And he was late for our session every night last week, except Sunday. That's what kids do. And so uh, they brought all kinds of things in. about God's will. I want to read something for you. And we got plenty of time. I want to read this. Does everybody know who John Wesley is? Is anybody that does not know who John Wesley is? Boy, this church is doing a great job. This church is doing a wonderful job. Well, that's great. God's will. Now think about that while I'm reading this. This is, uh, this is from uh, some of John Wesley's diaries and his notes, and it goes like this. When John Wesley was 32 years old, he was a bachelor missionary in the colony of Georgia. And while he was serving at church in Savannah, he met a young woman named Sophia Hopke. She was pretty and intelligent, and Wesley fell head over heels in love with her. But Wesley belonged to a group called the Holy Club. And one of their ideas was that members should remain single and not get married. So Wesley was caught in a dilemma. Was it the will of God for him to marry Sophie or not? 
to find out he and a friend named Charles Delamonte decided to draw lots. On three pieces of paper they wrote, Mary, think not of it this year, and think of it no more. Then they put the pieces of paper in a container, and Delamonte closed his eyes and drew one of them out, and out the third one, it said, think of it no more. Wesley was heartbroken, but he took the results to be the will of God. He ended the courtship, and not, not long after, he sailed back to England. In his journal, he wrote over the record of his romance, snatched as a brand out of the fire. Shortly after his return to England, Wesley came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, and he began the evangelistic ministry which God used so greatly. And during his travels, he fell in love with another woman, a widow and a Bible class teacher named Grace Murray. This time, he tried a different approach to finding the will of God about marriage. He listed seven factors he desired in a wife, her role as a housekeeper, nurse, companion, friend, and a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Her gifts and the fruits of her labors. He set out the pros and cons, and then he stated his conclusion. Therefore, all my seven arguments against marriage are totally set aside. Nay, some of them seem to prove that I ought to marry and that GM is the person, Grace Murray. Unfortunately, John's brother Charles did not agree. He believed that marriage would hamper John's evangelistic work, and when he heard the news, he galloped over to Grace's home, jumped off his horse, ran in, and said to her, Grace Murray, you have broken my heart, and then he passed out at her feet. That shook Grace so badly that she hastily married another person. Strike two for John Wesley. Finally, a year and a half later, at the age of 47, John did marry a wealthy widow named Mary Vasile. I do not know how Wesley chose her or what Charles had to say, but John made a mistake. He had a very unhappy marriage, and 22 years later, she left him. When she did, Wesley wrote in his journal, I have not left her. I would not send her away. I will not recall her. God's will. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that he who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. In Acts 2, 23, Acts 4, 27 through 28, it teaches that when Jesus came into this world, the rulers, the chief priests, the scribes throughout were controlling events. 
But Jesus' death happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In Romans, we hear God tell us, You will say to me then, Why does he, speaking of God, still find fault? For who can resist his will? So I ask you, who can resist God's will? And the answer is no one. No one can resist God's will. No one has ever kept God from doing whatever he wants to do. No one has slowed God down where he wanted to go. No one has gotten gotten in God's way and stopped him from doing what he wants to do. The truth is, God does what God wants to do when God wants to do it and how. It is God's sovereign will. The classic New Testament passage on God's sovereign will is Ephesians 1.11, which we read before. If you're interested in knowing God's word, as I trust you are, then In your Bible, when you get home, turn to that passage and write out to the side in the margin, God's sovereign will, his sovereignty. It goes like this. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, of whom who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And the passage doesn't say predetermined. We were predestined by his will. God doesn't control everything. God is in control. But God does not control every decision. We make decisions. God determines the outcomes. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you make a right choice, God uses it. If you make a wrong choice, God uses it. Is it God's will for you to drive a certain way to the mall? Is it God's will for me to preach here at Memorial United Methodist Church? No. No, it's not. But he works things out. He works things out. But within his oversight plan and sovereign right to intervene, we make real decisions for which we are all and will be held responsible. But even though we are responsible for those decisions we make, it's good to know and and we should rejoice and be glad to know that in the end, it's all God's plan. It all works for God's plan. We may not like the way the country's running. We may like the way the country's running. We may not like this or that. Or there's decisions that we have to make in life that we do not like. But there's decisions we make in life that we do like. But is it God's will? No. But will God work it out? In his plan? Yes. Yes, he will. Revelation 4, 11 says, 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. By God's will all things exist, including you and I. For everything comes from him, everything exists by his power and is intended for his glory. This is God's sovereign will. Everything God wants to happen, happens. He works all things according to his plan. All things according to his plan. But in God's plan, we are to participate. We are to be active in his plan. Ask yourself these questions and think about them. What are some examples in my life of things that went all wrong, but God eventually made right? I bet we can sit here and think of a bunch of things like that. How do I know from personal experience that people make wrong choices, but God's choices are always right? We can look back through the beginning of time and the choices that leaders and men of God have made that were wrong. And we see that now because we have a book that tells us about it. But the plan that God had and God's will made it all right because it all worked out according to God's plan. Historically and biblically, God's will has been divided into three separate things. His sovereign will, his moral will, and his individuality will. Let's look at his sovereign will. I'm not talking about Arthur here, but y'all listen to this. This is in Proverbs 16. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but it is every decision is from the Lord. There is no refuting biblically. God has a sovereign will. So what is God's sovereign will? The word sovereign means supreme in power, uh, without equal, superior in position, Sovereignty cannot be resisted or refuted. Nothing can stop God from doing what's going to do. Proverbs 16 talks about the idea that God controls outcomes. God's sovereign will is God's secret plan that controls the outcomes of all matters in the universe. From wars and elections, the weather, down to specific things as throwing a die. God controls outcomes. That's his sovereign will. But here's what that proverb means about God's sovereign will and casting lots and he controls outcomes. Let's say that you're playing Monopoly and you roll boxcars. The verse says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord controls outcomes. God didn't decide that you play Monopoly, but he controlled the outcome of that. God controls the result, not the decision. Not the way you went about it, but God controls the outcome. 
Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the land of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Every president, every prime minister, king, mayor, every ruler on the face of the earth rules by God's permission. Whatever choices they make, some of them do righteous things, some of them do wrong, unrighteous things. Whatever they choose, God sovereignly, by his will, makes sure that the outcomes contribute to his ultimate plan for the world. I know we're in bad times now when it's hard. But if you look back in history from the beginning, we've had bad times. We've had hills and valleys. And God's plan always wins. Daniel 4.35 is the classic Old Testament passage about the sovereign will of God. It goes like this. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will. That's what God does. He does what he wants. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done, God? It is his plan. God's moral will to Peter. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Is there stuff that happens in this world that God does not like? Is there stuff that happens in this world that God doesn't want to have to happen? Sure there is. Every day, thousands of decisions are made. Things happen that God wants to happen. Yet even though God doesn't want those things to have to happen, he uses all of them to make happen what he wants to happen. We've all said, it. Oh, I made a bad decision. Why didn't I pray more? Why didn't I look for God's will and say, oh, I was a bad decision? But when it turns out, it all works God's plan. Let me show you a passage of scripture that shows God's sovereign will together with his moral will. His moral will represents how God has chosen to intervene or not intervene in our daily lives. For example, in 2 Peter it says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Is that a sovereign will or moral will? That's God's moral will because Though God doesn't want anyone to perish, though some people will perish, everyone will not make that choice to come to Christ. It's that choice. The moral instructions that fill the scriptures are expressions of what God wants or does not want us to do. 
They tell us his moral will. But we disobey his desires for our best and choose that which is not good. In the Ten Commandments and in all of his teachings, when God says don't, he really saying, don't hurt yourself, Bob. Don't hurt yourself, Steve. Don't hurt yourself, whoever. Don't hurt yourself. Don't. We don't get to choose about his sovereign will, though. But we do make choices involving God's moral will every day. All of God's instructions for living make up his moral will. 2 Peter says, let me say again, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to make wise choices and to do the moral will of God is in his book. You can hear it from me or you can hear it from someone else, but you need to study and confirm what you hear in God's word. And all that God desires for us to, to be and to do is in the Bible. It is God's moral will. Ask yourself this. What examples would I use to tell someone how I know that when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourselves? What examples in your life can you use to express that to someone? Sovereign will, moral will, now everything everybody wants to know, the individual will. Mark 3, 32 says, And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he said to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Here's one of the critical questions that doesn't get asked enough. Does God have a will for each individual? Now think before you answer that. Does God have a will for each individual? Does he have an individualized, highly detailed, unbreakable will for each individual? And can you defend that biblically, the concept that God has a specific will? By that I mean, does God have a specific college for you to go to? Does God have a specific person for you to marry? Does God have a specific car for you to drive? Does God have a specific set of clothes for you to wear? Many of us are familiar with the struggle. You have a realtor in the price range. You find five possible houses, but two of them you don't like, and three of them are in the ballpark. And you're like, God, which one should I take? Which one should I buy? Does he already not only know which one you would choose? His foreknowledge is, isn't beyond time. But also have a definite will about which one you should choose. We make hundreds of choices every day. And we are running the risk of deterring from God's will at any and every moment. And what would happen if you make any decision not in perfect agreement with God's plans? 
does God have an individual, micro-specific will like that for each of us? Because if he doesn't, we are putting ourselves through a lot of torture trying to find it out and worrying about something that doesn't exist. As we see elsewhere, I'm not in any way saying that God doesn't have a will. He most certainly does have a will. And I'm not saying that God ever hands over veto power on any decision we make. Just think about all the people who have failed in committing suicide and then come to realize and be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever the freedom and limits of our wills, our decision-making, it isn't the same category with God's. But there is a difference between thinking that God has a very specific will about every little nitpicky decision that we make and realizing that God's will includes letting us make real choices in a real world at real time and experience the results of those choices that we make. Notice that Jesus' words in the verse above include the idea that some do and some don't do the will of God. Some leaders, some mayors, some people make bad decisions that are unrighteous and some make righteous decisions. We need to have a clear understanding of God's will so we can go after it. Now that we've done a quick overview of God's will, we come to something that we all do and we all think about. And that thing is frustration over God's will. Just frustrated with it. Ephesians 6 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will is to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. The reason to get a biblical view of God's will is because there's so much frustration over it. I've talked to a lot of people being in the ministry and having churches here and there, and you talk to a lot of people, and, and, and they're so frustrated with the whole matter of God's will, they keep saying, I'm trying to figure out God's will for me. I'm trying to determine what God wants from me. I'm trying to determine what God means. There's just a whole lot of pain among Christians on the subject of God's will people wrestling with it and people arguing over God's will without seriously attending to God's word on God's will. It is frustrating because I realize people are not trying to avoid God's will. They want to know what God's will is so that they can obey God's will and not be disobedient. This uncertainty leaves people in such a severe mode of frustration 
indecision. What do I do? How do I know? It's like we think that God is some kind of cosmic Easter bunny and he's hidden his will somewhere in this realm of earth and in and, 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 and space and, and we have to look for it and we have to hunt down it and we have to try to find it and God's telling us these little things we hear in our heart and our head, God's telling us we think this is what it is. We think you're getting closer, you're getting colder, you're getting warmer. We think that God is perversely holding from us the understanding of what he means and what he wants. But that's not true. That's not true. God is not like that. And you and I can know God's will and what God wants us to know. And there's no mystery about it. Life's decisions are difficult. And the God who wants us to live in accordance with his will has certainly revealed that will to us. And that is a big part of the reason God wrote a book and took great, great pains to make it available to us. And that book is called the Bible. How many people would be honest and say, when it's time to make a tough decision, I find it hard because I'm either afraid of somehow violating God's will or uncertain about what his will could be in that situation in my life. It is a hard place to find ourselves, struggling and arguing with God, being frustrated and undecision. Life's decisions are difficult and people want to know what God would have them do. And we need to know how to use the biblical guide for decision making so that we can avoid a lot of pain in our lives. Understanding God's will does not necessarily make life easier, but it will provide us with a clearly marked path through life's difficulties in God's sovereignty. What would be some of the differences in the way I live my life if I had a clear understanding of God's will? How would I live my life different if I understood God's will? In the second series of this two-part thing on God's will, if one day I come back here, I'm going to tell you how to know God's will. How do you know God's will? And I'm going to give you a hint so that you can look at it tonight while you're reading your Bible before you go to bed. And I know we all do that. Proverbs 3, 5. Proverbs 3, 6. 3, 5 and 3, 6 in Proverbs. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's telling you things you must do. Not that you want to do, but it tells you things you must do to know God's will in your life. God has laid it all out in his book. 
and you can pray all you want, and you can argue with God all you want, and you can be frustrated all you want and indecisive on all you want to do. But unless you read God's book, you will not know the will of God. Well, that's why he wrote this. Let's stand, join me in our affirmation of faith. I believe in God. Please be seated. We're going to see who can do faster. Us sing or y'all pass a plate. Let's uh, worship God by giving. Don't, yeah, don't rush the plate. Thank you. As I remember, I've been walking through the wilderness, praying to the Father and waiting for my time. I've come here with a mission, and soon I'll give my life for this world. I'm praying in the garden. And I'm looking for a miracle I find the journey hard It's the reason I was born But can this cup be passed on? Lord, I pray your will be done in this world So I'll carry my cross And I'll carry the shame to the end of the road Through the struggle and pain And I'll do it for love No, it won't be in vain Yes, I'll carry my cross And I'll carry the shame I feel like I'm alone here And I'm treated like the time has come for me now, even though I've done no wrong. Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they've done. 